You are listening to Real Relationship Talk, a podcast helping married and pre-married couples build lasting love from above. Got problems? Let's solve them. Because real trials need real truth. Now it's time to get in the game with your relationship coach and host, Dana Shea. Ah, love is in the air, or at least in the airwaves. Ooh. Hey, everybody, it's Dana Shea, and we are starting a brand new series and season on the podcast today. Kicking us off this season is a new series called Love Is... Truth be told, the word love is so overused in our culture. I love banana pudding. I also love to sleep in. I love my kids. Most of the time, anyway. But seriously, do my kids mean to me the same as banana pudding? Oh, no, 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 of course not. Of course not. My point, do we even know what love is anymore? People hook up and they call themselves in love. Marriages break up because they say there's no more love. But what is love, really? 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is patient, love is kind, it is not envy, it is not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That sounds like my kind of love, the kind of love that is stronger than death, and sweeter than banana pudding. I want that kind of love, and I want to give that kind of love. Love, you see, it isn't something that happens to you. It's something that happens through you. And yes, I made that up, so if you post it on social, you better give me credit. Love is more than just a feeling. It's what we do. Today, our lead-off guest is Kim Sorrell, author, speaker, and activist. Kim is the director of Rays of Hope International, which is a humanitarian organization that works to help people in their native countries, places like Haiti, the Dominican Republic, and Burkina Faso in Africa, to provide support to those they serve. Several years ago, Kim's life was turned upside down when she received a diagnosis of cancer. Just four months later, her husband also received a cancer diagnosis, And tragically, just six weeks later, Kim held her husband in her arms as he took his final breath. That experience led Kim to write her first book, Cry Until You Laugh, and propelled her to travel around the world to put love into practice. That spurred her on to write her second book, Love Is. Now, I want to say that it is a complete coincidence that Kim's book is the same as our series. When Hannah, my podcast manager, was researching for the series, she found Kim and I knew it was a God wink that we were on the right track. Around the seven minute mark, I started crying out of the blue, y'all. I'm not even a crier like that. I don't know if I was just emotional or if I need to just stop buying $3 mascara. Either way, it was a great conversation and I am so proud to present to you our guest today, Kim Sorrell. All right, Campbell, it is my absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being with us today. My word, Dana, this is an absolute pleasure. I love your show. I think you help a whole lot of people. So I am 
honored and excited to be part of that. You know, it's so funny because in my other job, I'm the online pastor at my church and we kind of have this ongoing conversation. Like, can people really build authentic community online? And of course, I'm always like, yes, yes, yes. And even though this is our first time meeting, like I just I've already felt like this just special connection with you. So I'm just so excited to get into your book and all the things that you've been able to do all over the world. I know that you kind of start your journey with the book Love Is with this really traumatic event that happened in your life. You were diagnosed with cancer and then just a few months later, your husband was diagnosed. And so can you tell us a little bit about after his unfortunate death, like what was it that propelled you to start this journey to find out what is love? You know, it's so interesting because love is so interesting. You know, it's been such a mystery in so many ways. Like people write songs about it, movies, TV shows, you know, everybody's about love all the time. You see it everywhere. But do you really understand it? And I had a great marriage. I had a great relationship. He was a wonderful man who chased God his whole life. He was that guy at five o'clock in the morning on his face before God, praying and reading the Bible and reading a devotional. And he was just this faithful, wonderful guy. And he was a great husband and we were great together. And For whatever reason, for a lot of reasons, I guess, losing him, you know, being diagnosed with cancer and then bam, four months later he is. And then dang, six weeks later he passes away. Uh, It just made me question, did I do right by him? Mm. You know, am I loving the right way? Did I love him the right way? Do I really understand the love that I believe that I had for him? And so, and in John, it says that God is love. And I thought, wow, if you want to live a life the most like God wants us to live, then you would live love. Then love isn't just a feeling, right? An emotion, but it's something that you are. It's something God is. God is love. Not God loves. God is love. So what does that mean? And I decided it would take a bit to figure it out. And so I dedicated a year to trying to discover that answer. So what did you discover in that year? What is love? If you had to define it, how would you define it for someone? You know, if I had to uh, define it quickly in just a couple sentences, I would say that love is the ultimate freedom, Mm. the ultimate freedom. There's nothing freer than walking in love, because when you walk in love, there is no judgment. There's no condemnation. There's no trying to fix people. There's a realization that people can be whoever it is they believe God has created them to be. And it gives people the freedom to do that. And it gives you the freedom to do that. And when you realize that all you have to do is love, that's your whole job. That's our only job. We only have to love. We don't have to judge. We don't have to do anything else. All we have to do is love. And when when that is your life, then you are just free to love people. Love people for who they are, where they are. Just love. I think as Christians, a lot of times, unfortunately, you know, like you said, like we don't have to judge. We don't have to fix people. We don't have to solve people's problems. All we have to do is love. And I feel that, you know, oftentimes we don't know how to love because we don't really understand that we've been loved. And, you know, you mentioned in the book of John that it says God is love. And in First John, First John 4, it says that we love because we have first been loved, right? And so for those of us who are Christians, hopefully we have that understanding, but many of us still don't. And then for non-believers, they might not have that understanding or experience at all. So how do you help non-believers specifically 
learn how to love if they haven't first experienced that love? One of the beautiful things about love is that it's universal. So it crosses all political, racial, religious, sexual barriers. I mean, anything that's there, it crosses every line, every demographic, every age, everybody. Love is universal. And so, uh, but to your point, yes, to, to really be able to give love, you need to be able to receive love. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes it can work in a backwards way. And that if you learn more about how to give love, more about what love really is, then the receiving love comes. If, if you can give, give of yourself, give that love to others, then, then it can work in your favor to learn how to receive love at the same time. How important, Kim, do you think our families of origin play into this? Like, I think so many of us, we look at our childhoods and we're like, oh, you know, like we've had so much dysfunction in our childhoods. And unfortunately, even if our parents tried to do the best that they could, a lot of us experience these love deficit relationships. So how important is that kind of familial foundation in the way that we learn to love and the way that we then choose to love others? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, I think everybody can look at their past and go, gosh, you know, my mom adored me and told me I could be anything or geez, my mom was never there. I don't even know who my dad was. I mean, we come from all different kinds of backgrounds. And so the love that we think is love, what, what, how we identify it based on our childhood, most of the time, it's so different than what love really is. And so as an adult, though, that's kind of the beauty of things is that uh, you know, I look at my own childhood. I had a good one. I, I had a, a great childhood, but my mom and dad fought all the time. When I was first married and I had my first argument with my husband, I told him to sleep on the couch because I thought that's what dads did when there was a fight. He's supposed to sleep on the couch. And my husband said, well, why would I sleep on the couch? I've got a bed. <laughs> and I'm like, um, I guess that makes sense. I don't know. But uh, because you live what you learn. And so I had to break away from a lot of the things I learned about how to be a wife because my mom was a wonderful mom, but not a good wife. And so, yes, it plays in, but as an adult, you get to make the choices for your life. You get to overcome the things that were things that prohibited you from really loving and learning how to love. You get to change all that. You don't have to live in that anymore. And wonderful to have that, that freedom to be able to make those changes and those choices. Hey friends, Dana Shea here breaking into the episode real quick just to let you know about an incredible resource that I am super excited to let you all know about as we journey over the next several weeks on this whole topic of what love is. I have created an interactive workbook just for you or you and your boo to download and go through every single week with us on the podcast. So every week we are going to tackle a specific theme. What does it mean for love not to be jealous or to not hold records of wrongs? Friends, this workbook is going to help you to grow deeper in your relationships. It's going to help you to put into action how to love. That's right. Every week you will be writing out actions that you need to release and actions that you need to increase. This workbook consists of scripture, affirmations, meditations, 
and practical how-tos. So be sure to download your copy today at realrelationshiptalk.com slash love is. Again, that's realrelationshiptalk.com slash love is. And why not go ahead and grab a copy for you and someone you love to? Hurry and grab your copy at realrelationshiptalk.com slash love is. All right, back to our show. I'm literally like crying over here. Like my nose is running. I'm like, what is happening right now? And I don't know if it's just I'm emotional just talking about this whole topic or if I literally have something in my eye, a piece of mascara. But I'm going to be deep and spiritual and say that it is because I'm thinking about love and I'm just overwhelmed with emotion. (laughs) For those who are watching on YouTube, you're probably like, what is going on with her? I'm literally like crying over here. Um, No, I completely can identify, Kim, with what you're saying about, you know, growing up in a home like that. My eye is like, I'm just going to do this interview with my eyes shut. How about that? Because this is like really um, (laughs) something that I say often is that love is an action verb. And I think a lot of times, you know, we have been taught, again, this romanticized um, idea of love being like, you know, a feeling. And so my question, Kim, is how do you help people to go from love just being a feeling or maybe even just um, an emotional connection with someone? How do we go from love being a feeling to actually love becoming something that we do? Well, I think it starts with knowing what love is, really understanding the truth about love. And, you know, one of the myths, I believe, that is perpetrated in our society is that love is a two-way street. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to love, you you have to be loved by the other person. And when you go through marriage counseling, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, it's 50-50 or it's 100-100. You know, everybody's got to give everything they got. And the truth is, it doesn't matter what the other person does. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't let other people dictate how you are as a person. You know, you certainly you should have people in your life that make you better that make you want to do more, that make you want to love more. And certainly you want to be with a, a partner who loves you, adores you. Of course you want that. But your love cannot be conditional on how somebody else feels about you. So when you talk about love, you're talking about you giving all without any expectation of receiving anything in return. The minute you start expecting something in return, that's not love anymore. Then you're doing something to get something and that's not what love does. So love as an action, it is something that you walk and talk. It is something that becomes part of your being. So when you get away from the mindset of, well, if I do this, I'll get this and recognize that that is not love. And instead it's up to you to be love. Then you can start walking it and talking it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I mean, I can't help but to think of like, how do we learn that? You know, of course, I think of Jesus and how he models this so well. The Bible says that um, while we were yet sinners, he loved us. And there are people that will never come into that understanding of how much God loves them and therefore they won't love him back. But he still offers that. Uh, The Bible also says that he's kind to the ungrateful. I think about that with my children all the time. (laughs) But like, he doesn't love us because he needs us to worship him. 
him or he he doesn't love us because he's trying to get something from us. He just loves because that is who he is. And I know that sometimes it's for me, at least it's very intimidating because I'm like, but I'm not Jesus. I'm not you, Lord. I don't I don't know how to love like that. And I don't think that we'll ever do it perfectly. But I love what you're saying about love is not dependent upon somebody else and how they're treating you, which is helpful for so many of my audience who who's listening, who maybe they are in broken relationships or they're in dysfunctional even marriages and they feel like, but if I could only get a little bit of love, it would help me to love. Or if my spouse would only pay more attention to me, then it would help me to do X, Y, and Z. But what you're saying is so revolutionary And I think that's where the freedom comes in is that we can truly be free to love regardless of what other people are doing. But it takes a lot of selflessness, right? Like, how how do we get over ourselves? (laughs) That's what we need to talk about. Well, you know, it's interesting. So uh, early in my marriage, a couple years in, a couple years and a couple kids in, and and you know how life just kind of gets crazy, right? He's working, you're at home, you're doing laundry, the laundry never ends making dinner every night, trying to be creative in the kitchen. Oh, my word, is, that can be a painful thing. The grocery shopping, I mean, the list never ends. You know, the the whole saying of a, a man may work from dusk till dawn, but a woman's work is never done or however that is. It, it's so true, right? Our, our work is never done and it can be overwhelming. And uh, my husband would come home from work and he'd lay on the couch while I'm making dinner and then He'd go watch TV while I'm doing dishes. We just got into this pattern of, wait a minute, you know, I wasn't so happy. I I was thinking, guy, why am I doing this? It's like I've got another kid, you know, and now I'm not taking care of just the babies, but now I've got this other kid that I'm also taking care of him because I'm doing his laundry and I'm doing his cooking. I'm doing his everything. And so is this really for me? Do I really want to be married? Do I, do I even really want this? You know, would it be easier just to be alone with the kids? You know, that might be a simpler thing. And then I decided, you know what? I did say a vow before God and I did commit to this marriage. And it's up to me to change things. If I want a happy marriage, that's, that's on me. I can make my marriage happy. So I decided that I would do everything I could to make that man happy. Everything I could, no matter what he did. I was going to make him happy. If I never got anything in return, I never got anything in return. So I didn't put a time limit on it. I didn't say, I'm going to do everything I can to make him happy for the next three months. And if he doesn't respond, then he is out the door. I didn't do that. I just said, I'm going to do everything I can to make him happy. So I'd go to the grocery store and I'd come home with his favorite candy, you know, or I'd make his favorite dinner or I'd, you know, have something special waiting for him or write him a note before work or uh, just anything I could, anything I could do for him, I did for him. Every way that I could make him happy, I made him happy. And the magic of love, the incredible thing that happens is love has an awful hard time not attracting love. When you live love, when you're doing that, man, love comes your way. And even though you're not loving to have love come your way, it does because God's that cool that that's how life happens. And so my marriage got so good and then just kept getting better and better and better and better. And what I realized, though, is it wasn't my husband's attitude that was changing. It was my attitude that was changing. 
because I loved him deeper and deeper and deeper. And I wanted to do those things for him. I wanted to do anything I could for that man to make him happy and, and making him happy. It made me happy. And so not looking outward for your validation, for your, your love, you know, I mean, God doesn't look at us and go, I, I don't know, Kim, you're not loving me so much today. So I really don't like you that much. You know, or I'm going to give you three months. <laughs> Kim, I'll give you three months. And if you, if you don't come around, then, then I'm done. That's, that's not how love works. Love is on you, period. It's, it, it is on you. Oh, that's so helpful. It's so helpful. And I think, again, it frees people up because if we're always looking at the other person to make the first move, then we're always at the mercy of the other person. If they don't make the first move, then I'm just stuck here. And, you know, if they if they start loving me, then I can start loving them. So it's going back again to what you said about the freedom. You say, Kim, in your book, you said this, you said, if you understand love and live love, your life will change. So what are we not understanding about love? And then once we get that understanding, how revolutionary do you think love can really be? You know, I think one of the biggest things that we don't understand about love is that we're supposed to love everybody. And, and people are individuals with individual names. They have a mom, they have a dad, they've got siblings. They're individual people. You're Dana, I'm Kim. You know, but we like to put labels on people. We like to put people in categories. We like to say, oh, they're Republican. Oh, they're Democrat. You know, I can't get along with the Republicans or I can't get along with the Democrats, you know, or they're um, socialists or they're whatever they happen to be. You know, oh gosh, those people from Atlanta just can't handle the people from Atlanta. No. They're not people from Atlanta. They're Tom and they're Mary and they're Lisa and um, Shaniqua and whoever happens to be from Atlanta, right? People are individuals. And when you break things down and recognize that we are all individuals, then love takes on a whole new meaning. So then we're not throwing people in categories. We're not having expectations of what we think people think. The walls come down. Because there should be no walls between us. It shouldn't matter where you're born. It shouldn't matter where you live. None, none of that should matter. The color of your skin, who you choose to be partners with, none of that matters. None of that matters. We are all individuals. And if you take people on that level and stop categorizing people, stop labeling people, but just recognize their humanity, that's when love happens. And when you really love the way you're supposed to, there are no more labels. I, I had the privilege of preaching in our church a couple of weeks ago about Jesus and the Samaritan woman and how, you know, the Samaritans were like this group of people that the Jews despised. And and so they treated them. I mean, they would literally go all around, you know, just not to have to go through their town. And Jesus turns that on its head when he not only approaches this woman of a different ethnicity than him, but she was a woman. And of course, back then in that time, men didn't talk to women and how he saw her for who she was, even though she had been labeled by society, even though she still, even to this day, when people preach about her, who we've been taught she was is probably not who she really was, but that Jesus saw her for who she was and he validated her and her humanity. And again, I, I think of, you know, Christians who 
we know, I think we know like, oh, John 3, 16. We know First uh, John 4, 9. Like we know these scriptures that God is love and so we're to love others. But we do categorize people. It's like, well, we're supposed to love the gays or we're supposed to love the blacks or the whites. or And we, we put people in these categories versus being able to see people's stories, being able to see people as individuals, and then being able to empathize with people for who they are and where they are. And of course, in marriages, we do it too with our spouses. You know, we we're like, okay, yeah, that's my husband. That's my wife. That's my boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. But we don't take it down to that like granular level of like, like I think of my husband when I have seen like, oh, this is probably why he's acting that way. Or maybe this is what, can I give grace that he maybe have said something that offended me? Or maybe he said something I didn't like, like, am I able to see him as a man, not just as like my kid's father or my husband, but like the human behind the person? Can I love the human behind that? And that's an everyday desire and challenge for me to not categorize him and to really just love him. And I think that that kind of love is what people are thirsty for. I think when Christians, especially when we can display that kind of love, that's what it's going to attract people. You said it earlier that that kind of love is attractional. And so if people aren't being attracted to who we are as people, (laughs) then it's probably because we're not really loving the right way. So I just love what you're saying about how simple it is. Like it's really simple to just have a one-on-one conversation or a one-on-one relationship with people versus being like, how can I change the world by loving all of these people? <laughs> right, right. It's who who you see today, right? And who's who God puts in your life today. And I love what you said. I mean, you, you put it so well. It's all so true. And every day that we live leads us to today. And none of us have lived exactly the same days. None of us have. So we all have these triggers, you know, words that are said that, oh my gosh, it brings back this memory. Even if we're not thinking about it, it brings back something, you know, whatever. And we tend to, to block things out. We tend to discard what people are really saying because we think they're saying something else. So, you know, when I did this whole year, I used the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy, does not boast. And I took one word a month. And focus on one word a month. And what you're hitting on is love is patient, the very first one out of the gate. And and I thought, well, I know what patience is. You know what patience is. You know, you're not honking your horn when you're stuck in traffic. You're not stomping your foot because you're ready to go when kids are not ready to go, you know, or whatever. But you're being patient. But I discovered that love that is patient is entirely different than that. Mm. Love that is patient, first of all, recognizes a person for the person. And the person only, whether it's the person checking you out at the grocery store, your next door neighbor, your husband, your kids, whoever. But love that is patient would say that this moment right here, right now, this is the most important moment of your life. What's in the past is in the past. And what's in the future is yet to come. This is the moment. And how easy is it for us to lose this moment? Because we have our mind on our to-do list, right? Oh my gosh, as soon as I'm done with this, I got to do laundry. I've got to stop at the bank. I've got to go to the grocery store. I got to pick up milk. You know, I've got a meeting later today, whatever it is. So easy to not be a hundred percent right here in the moment. And love would say you are that you are a hundred percent here in this moment. 
You're not thinking ahead or behind, but you are right here. And the most amazing thing happens when you do that. When you love that way with love that is patient, you actually hear what people have to say. You stop and you listen and you listen to the words without having your rebuttal all set to go, without assuming you know what they're going to say, but actually listen to them. You figure out that we've got a whole lot more in common than we think we do. And that people are people are people all over the world. And everyone as valuable as the next and everyone as special with individual stories and individual paths and dreams and wants and hopes. And, and to know those about somebody is incredible, you know, to find out people's stories and figure out who they really are and where they've come from. And to know that about somebody, that kind of intimacy about somebody is incredible. It's, it's incredible. It's true. It's true. And again, it, it just even in our relationships with our spouses, how many of us really take the time to know and to find out like where our spouses or our partners came from? How did, I'm working with a couple right now, I'm thinking about, and uh, one of them had a very traumatic uh, childhood, very, very traumatic childhood. And so as we're talking about their their relationship, that will come up sometimes. And the wife just has so much empathy for, she wants her husband to like, almost like go back and realize how much trauma you experience. He's a great guy. He's overcome a lot. But I just love when she talks about his his past, not in a condemning way, but like you, she's seeing the humanity is what I'm saying. She's seeing that, that behind him. And I look at, again, my marriage and how often I've just kind of skipped over things that my husband has gone through, or I've skipped over experiences um, because I'm really, and I think we all are inherently just selfish, you know, and we're thinking about ourselves and, you know, okay, but he's still not being nice to me right now. So, you know, and so I just, I love what you're saying. And I, I think just because I'm a, I'm a curious person anyway, I love, I mean, I am best friends with every single person on the flight with me. You know what I mean? Like I'll, I'll be flying and I, I have these amazing conversations with people in the air because I'm so curious about people's lives and where they come from. But it's just another reminder for me to not only be that way with a stranger, but can we also be that way with, with our children, with our spouses, with our uh, partners, with the people that God has placed like in our intimate lives? So good. And, and stop keeping score, mm. right? Because love doesn't keep score. That's a big one. Because again, it's, it's what you do. Yes. Love is something you are that, that you give, that you live. And so then there's no scorekeeping because it's easy when you don't walk in it to keep score and say, well, wait a minute. I don't care that I had crap in my childhood too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, get over it, buddy. So, all right, we, we're equal that way. Or, or, you know, I was, I did this for you last week. You need to do this for me this week. And, and it's not about keeping score from about our past, about our futures or about anything else. We should be each other's biggest cheerleaders. We should be rooting each other on and, and happy for successes and happy for triumphs over things and, and the things that people go through. That's the way that we want to live. And you've inspired us to be able to do that and to know that we can all do that, whether we had a crappy childhood or whether we never saw examples of that, that we can truly start today to become people of love. And so I would love for people to find out more about you, Kim. So how can people learn more about you? What are you working on? What do you want people to know about? What's maybe one thing that you would encourage uh, couples, especially since that's mostly who listens to this podcast? What's one thing that you would encourage them to do? And then what are some ways that they can learn more about you? 
Uh, well, I would say the best thing you can do as a couple, if, if you're getting married, thinking about getting married, are already married, have been married for 25 years, it doesn't matter. The best thing you can do is give everything you have without any expectation of receiving anything in return. Just stop with the expectations and just give everything you got. You you give, you live the love, you give the love. And you'll see, I mean, great things will happen, but you're not doing it for that reason. But give, give everything you got. And I'm pretty easy to find. My, my book is called Love Is, which is a pretty simple title. It's a dark blue book. And uh, loveis.info is my website or my name, Kim Sorrell. Uh, dot com, Sorrel. I'm literally the only Kim Sorrell spelled my way in the entire world, which is crazy, but there's two R's, two E's, two L's, way too many letters, S-O-R-R-E-L-L-E. So I'm easy to find. Um, I, I speak, I write. I'm working on uh, two different books right now. I'm working on Love is for Kids and I'm working on Love is for Churches. Cause Oh my goodness, because we need that one. We, you need to write that one today. <laughs> it needs to be published today. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, Kim, this has been such an incredible conversation and what a great lead off to this new series that we're going to be doing on Love Is. And and I just want people to to get you. I feel, I feel like people already get your heart, um, but you went to a whole nother country to learn and to experience and to practice love. And I think that that's so inspiring, but people can also do this in their living rooms, in their bedrooms, in their family, in their churches, in their communities. We can truly learn how to love just simplistically. And I think that when we do that, we really will change our world. So thanks so much for being here and inspiring us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I know the series is going to be fantastic. Boy, did she bless my heart today. So I want you guys to all get her book. You can find her book on Amazon and everywhere the books are sold. It's called Love Is. And we are going to be going through, again, these attributes of what love is over the next several weeks in this podcast series. And the best way for you to do that is to be sure to head over to realrelationshiptalk.com slash love is to download your interactive workbook. We are diving in deep, you guys. We are going to put into practice what we are hearing over these next several weeks. So be sure to get your workbook. Again, that's realrelationshiptalk.com slash love is. I really want you all to be a part of this journey with us. And friends, if you have been enjoying this podcast, if this podcast has blessed you, would you do me a favor and give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super simple to do. You just simply find the show on Apple Podcasts, give it five stars, and then if you would be so kind to write a short little review on what the podcast means to you, I would be so grateful. And it is also one of the ways that we help this podcast to get into the ears of more people just like you who need a boost in their relationships. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the show today, you guys. I can't wait to get into this new series with you. And remember, A good relationship isn't one that works. It's one where you put in the work. Let's get to work. I'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to Real Relationship Talk with Dana Shea. Find the show notes, helpful articles, and more relationship tips at realrelationshiptalk.com. Enjoying the show? Be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to subscribe. We'll see you on the next episode.
Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of Million Praying Moms, and I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's Word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's Word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.